I'm Lisa Stone, and you are listening to Season 8 of Parenting Aces. Well, the Australian Open is over. I am finally back to normal sleep patterns, I hope, <laughs> and have just am still in recovery zone from uh, all those late nights and early mornings and excitement over watching some incredible, incredible tennis in Melbourne. And I hope you enjoyed the Australian Open this year as much as I did. Coming off of the Aussie Open, though, there's still so much going on in tennis, and one of the things that we continue to discuss is the new ITF World Tennis Tour. To that end, my guest this week, Dave Miley, is back on the podcast to talk about his thoughts on what he's seeing so far with the tour, and also to discuss his candidacy as president of the ITF, and For those of you who heard my previous podcast with Dave uh, from several months ago when we first started talking about the what is now the World Tennis Tour, he discussed his involvement with the ITF and all the work he's done with that organization over the years. And now he really feels like he's in a position to lead the organization and really help grow tennis around the globe. I asked him why we tennis parents in the States should care about this, and his answer is really enlightening. So I hope you enjoy my conversation with Dave, that you are catching some amazing college tennis, which is underway now for the spring dual match season, and that all is well in your tennis world. So now sit back, relax, and listen to my conversation with Dave Miley. Dave Miley, welcome to the Parenting Aces podcast. I'm so happy to have the opportunity to chat with you again. No, it's a pleasure to be here. Thanks very much, Lisa. Absolutely. So you recently sent me an email letting me know that you are running for president of the ITF, and I'm so thrilled to hear that. I think it's time for some new blood. But I wanted to ask you a couple things about that. One, what made you decide to get back involved with the ITF? Because I know you have a history of working with them. And two, why should tennis parents in the States care about that? Okay, good questions. Uh, As you know, Lisa, I I worked for the ITF for 25 years. It became like my family. And uh, I was director of development, running the biggest department for 17 years of those. So I was on the board of the ITF as an executive. And uh, I care about the ITF. The ITF is the controlling body of tennis. It's, as you know, been running the Davis Cup, Fed Cup for many years, also in charge of the Olympic tennis event. And and in my opinion, does a lot of very good things for for tennis. It, it, It actually... The ITF and its member nations pay for most of the things that lose money, including the junior tour, the uh, player development, many things like that. So so I, I've been out of the ITF since 2016. I resigned from the ITF. Um, and I stepped back. And I, I think sometimes when you're in the organization, you get become a little bit institutionalized. And so being out of the ITF for, for this period of time, I've been able to see maybe a little bit more of the bigger picture. And I think that the direction the ITF's going in is not very good. Uh, well, I think it could be a lot better. Um, I've seen things such as the transition tour. I think we'll talk about that later on. The, the, the I think what I would call too far, too fast on the Davis Cup. Changes were necessary, but they've moved very, very fast to a very extreme format. 
and even some things related to governance. So I, I'm very concerned. And after the ITF in Orlando, I was approached by some of the nations who felt I had the profile to, to run for president. Um, I, I always live my life by two things. One is, which is a saying in Ireland, if you think you're something, you're nothing. And the other one is, in the land of the blind, the one-eyed person can be king or queen. So I, I don't think I'm anything special, but I, I have very unique experience. I, I've, I've worked for the ITF, traveled to 150 countries. I speak English, French, and Spanish. Um, and so I think I know tennis reasonably well. I was overseeing even anti-doping, junior, seniors, wheelchair, technical development, and also touching on the professional tour at times through the player development and the training centers we had. So in short, I think I can do a, maybe bring a different direction to the ITF. And, and your second question is, uh, why is it important to U.S. parents? Well, like I said, the ITF is a controlling body of tennis. And, and okay, there are seven kind of very important constituents in tennis, the the ATP, WTA Tours, the um, four Grand Slams, the ITF, and also the players. We don't want to forget the players because they're very, very important. And I think the job of the ITF is to kind of, should be to, to with respect, to lead those organizations for the good of tennis. And at the moment, I think tennis is very fragmented. Everybody's doing their own thing. And I'm not saying I can have all the answers, but I think it's certainly important that the ITF is leading and trying to do good things for tennis in all of the areas. And just to give you one small example, it's certainly not the highlight of my my, my platform, but, you know, in, in tennis today, the why should the player ranked 250 in the world be losing $50,000 a year playing on the professional tour? And uh, it doesn't make sense when they've given so much of their life to tennis. And and I think there must be a way for the for the various constituents to work together to make sure that somebody at that level who you see the quality when they play the qualities of the Grand Slams should be making a reasonable living after giving up so much. And I think the players down around 700 should be able to break even. And we'll talk about that in a, in a little while when we talk about the tour. So I hope that answers your questions. I think it's important because the ITF should be leading and should be making sure that the sport that the children of your parents are in is a better sport, that the pathway uh, is good, and, and also that People are really keen to – tennis is a healthy sport. That means a lot of people playing, a lot of people uh, hopefully watching tennis live and on TV, and hopefully buying things that help them play better. Yeah, I agree. You know, one of the issues I think here in the States with the ITF is we have so few ITF junior events here, and the ones we do have are scheduled during our school year. It's the most bizarre thing ever when you look at the schedule there are no itf junior events in the summer in the u.s when you're out of school yeah do you think that's something that can change absolutely but this is why i look i can't i don't know why that is i mean i thought that surely the itf and the usda would be able to coordinate that well now i'm sure there's reasons because there's always two sides to every story but of course, we don't. It shouldn't be that children have to give their education to play uh, tennis to a high level. And I think in most education systems, there's about sixteen to twenty weeks of holidays every year. And uh, also today, with all the sort of flexible kind of schooling, where you can do things when you're traveling through online education, it shouldn't be necessary to give up your education. So what I'm saying is, yes, the the, the USDA and the ITF should be coordinating so the tournaments take place during. 
uh, holiday periods, and uh, that it, this is the one of the things I feel very strongly about. You know, my 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 wearing my old ITF development hat is we need to adapt the the play and competition formats to the needs and lifestyles of the customers, the players, and so it should be uh, adapted in that way at all levels. So, and at the moment, I I, I feel that's that's not not happening, and and. I think your parents who are listening know that it costs a lot to get a junior player into the top 100 junior ITF rankings, which again is going to help them to get through into this new transition or ITF World Tour. Um, because, you know, they well, for the reasons everybody knows, it costs a lot of money and, and, and hopefully there is a better way. Right. And I mean, there's been so much talk about bringing tennis to the masses and, and you know, granted, my knowledge is pretty limited to what's happening in the States, not really what's happening worldwide in this regard. But I know here it's become so expensive to, as you said, get your child into the top of the rankings, whether it's USTA rankings or ITF rankings. And then, you know, on top of that, the college opportunities, the scholarship opportunities have been decreased now with the world tour the professional opportunities have been decreased. And so it's very difficult for a family who understands all of this. And granted, there are a lot of families out there that have no clue about all of these things. But the ones who do, how do you justify making that investment in your child? And and I, you know, I, I struggle with this because we shouldn't be doing things for our children simply for return on investment purposes, right? I mean, that's that's not good parenting. However, it's very difficult to justify multiple weekends away each month, multiple tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands of dollars spent when the opportunities are being limited at a rapid pace. Yeah, look, Lisa, I, I, it's something I feel very strongly about that, that tennis needs to be driven by user-friendly play and competition. And that means at all levels. So when you talk about the game, I'm really concerned that in the U.S. participation has gone in the last 20 years from 30 million to 16.7 million. And in Europe, it's dropping in many countries like Netherlands, for example, has gone from 750,000 registered players to 650,000. And ball sales and racket sales are, are, are down in a lot of nations. So for me, this is very important that we try and adapt the, 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 the product, which is the competition of the... I'm Lisa Stone, and you are listening to Season 8 of Parenting Aces. Well, the Australian Open is over. I am finally back to normal sleep patterns, I hope, <laughs> and I'm just am still in recovery zone from uh, all those late nights and early mornings and excitement over watching some incredible, incredible tennis in Melbourne. And I hope you enjoyed the Australian Open this year as much as I did. Coming off of the Aussie Open, though, there's still so much going on in tennis. And one of the things that we continue to discuss is the new ITF World Tennis Tour. 
To that end, my guest this week, Dave Miley, is back on the podcast to talk about his thoughts on what he's seeing so far with the tour and also to discuss his candidacy as president of the ITF. And for those of you who heard my previous podcast with Dave uh, from several months ago when we first started talking about the what is now the World Tennis Tour. He discussed his involvement with the ITF and all the work he's done with that organization over the years. And now he really feels like he's in a position to lead the organization and really help grow tennis around the globe. I asked him why we tennis parents in the States should care about this, and his answer is really enlightening. So I hope you enjoy my conversation with Dave, that you are catching some amazing college tennis, which is underway now for the spring dual match season, and that all is well in your tennis world. So now sit back, relax, and listen to my conversation with Dave Miley. Dave Miley, welcome to the Parenting Aces podcast. I'm so happy to have the opportunity to chat with you again. No, it's a pleasure to be here. Thanks very much, Lisa. Absolutely. So you recently sent me an email letting me know that you are running for president of the ITF, and I'm so thrilled to hear that. I think it's time for some new blood. But I wanted to ask you a couple things about that. One, what made you decide to get back involved with the ITF? Because I know you have a history of working with them. And two, why should tennis parents in the States care about that? Okay, good questions. Uh, as you know, Lisa, I, I worked for the ITF for 25 years. It became like my family, and uh, I was director of development, running the biggest department for 17 years of those. So I was on the board of the ITF as an executive. And uh, I care about the ITF. The ITF is the controlling body of tennis. It's, as you know, been running the Davis Cup, Fed Cup for many years, also in charge of the Olympic tennis event. And, and in my opinion, does a lot of very good things for, for tennis. It, it, it actually... The ITF and its member nations pay for most of the things that lose money, including the junior tour, the uh, player development, many things like that. So so I, I've been out of the ITF since 2016. I resigned from the ITF. Um, and I stepped back. And I, I think sometimes when you're in the organization, you get become a little bit institutionalized. And so being out of the ITF for, for this period of time, I've been able to see maybe a little bit more of the bigger picture. And I think that the direction the ITF's going in is not very good. Uh, well, I think it could be a lot better. Um, I've seen things such as the transition tour. I think we'll talk about that later on. The, the, the I think what I would call too far, too fast on the Davis Cup. Changes were necessary, but they've moved very, very fast to a very extreme format. And even some things related to governance. So I, I'm very concerned. And after the ITF in Orlando, I was approached by some of the nations who felt I had the profile to, to run for president. Um, I, I, I always live my life by two things. One is, which is a saying in Ireland, if you think you're something, you're nothing. And the other one is, in the land of the blind, the one-eyed person can be king or queen. So I, I don't think I'm anything special, but I, I have very unique experience. I, I've, I've worked for the ITF, traveled to 150 countries. I speak English, French, and Spanish. Um, and so I think I know tennis reasonably well. I was overseeing even anti-doping, junior, seniors, wheelchair, technical development, and also touching on the professional tour at times through the player development and the training centers we had. So in short, 
I think I can do a, maybe bring a different direction to the ITF. And and your second question is uh, why is it important to U.S. parents? Well, like I said, the ITF is a controlling body of tennis, and and okay, there's there are seven kind of very important constituents in tennis: the the ATP, WTA tours, the um, four Grand Slams, the ITF, and also the players. We don't want to forget the players because they're very very important, and I think the job of the ITF is to kind of should be to to, with respect, to lead those organizations for the good of tennis. And at the moment, I think tennis is very fragmented. Everybody's doing their own thing. And I'm not saying I can saw, have all the answers, but I think it's certainly important that the ITF is leading and trying to do good things for tennis in all of the areas. And just to give you one small example, it's certainly not the highlight of my my, my platform, but you know, in, in tennis today, the why should the player ranked 250 in the world be losing $50,000 a year playing on the professional tour? And uh, it doesn't make sense when they've given so much of their life to tennis. And and I think there must be a way for the for the various constituents to work together to make sure that somebody at that level, who you see the quality when they play the qualities of the Grand Slams, should be making a reasonable living after giving up so much. And I think the players down around 700 should be able to break even. And we'll talk about that in a, in a little while when we talk about the tour. So I hope that answers your questions. I think it's important because the ITF should be leading and should be making sure that the sport that the children of your parents are in is a better sport, that the pathway uh, is good, and, and also that people are really keen to... Tennis is a healthy sport. That means a lot of people playing. A lot of people uh, hopefully watching tennis live and on TV and hopefully buying things that help them play better. Yeah, I agree. You know, one of the issues I think here in the States with the ITF is we have so few ITF junior events here. And the ones we do have are scheduled during our school year. It's the most bizarre thing ever when you look at the schedule. There are no ITF junior events in the summer in the U.S. when you're out of school. Yeah. Do you think that's something that can change? Absolutely, but this is why I look. I can't. I don't know why that is. I mean, I thought that surely the ITF and the USTA would be able to coordinate that well. Now, I'm sure there's reasons because there's always two sides to every story. But of course, we don't. It shouldn't be that children have to give their education to play uh, tennis to a high level. And I think in most education systems, there's about 16 to 20 weeks of holidays every year. And uh, also today with all the sort of flexible kind of schooling where you can do things when you're traveling through online education, it shouldn't be necessary to give up your education. So what I'm saying is, yes, the, the, the USDA and the ITF should be coordinating so the tournaments take place during uh, holiday periods. And uh, that it, this is the... One of the things I feel very strongly about, you know, my 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 wearing my old ITF development hat is we need to adapt the the play and competition formats to the needs and lifestyles of the customers, the players, and so it should be uh, adapted in that way at all levels. So, and at the moment, I, I I feel that's that's not not happening, and and I think your parents who are listening know that it, it costs a lot to get a junior player into the top hundred junior ITF rankings, which again is going to help them to get through into this new transition or ITF World Tour. Um, because, you know, they well, for the reasons everybody knows, it costs a lot of money and, and, and hopefully there is a better way. 
Right. And I mean, there's been so much talk about bringing tennis to the masses and, and, you know, granted my knowledge is pretty limited to what's happening in the States, not really what's happening worldwide in this regard, but I know here it's become so expensive to, as you said, get your child into the top of the rankings, whether it's USTA rankings or ITF rankings. And then, you know, on top of that, the college opportunities, the scholarship opportunities have been decreased. Now with the world tour, the professional opportunities have been decreased. And so it's very difficult for a family who understands all of this. And granted, there are a lot of families out there that have no clue about all of these things. But the ones who do, how do you justify making that investment in your child? And, and I, you know, I, I struggle with this because we shouldn't be doing things for our children simply for return on investment purposes, right? I mean, that's, that's not good parenting. However, it's very difficult to justify multiple weekends away each month, multiple tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands of dollars spent when the opportunities are being limited at a rapid pace. You look, Lisa, I, I, it's something I feel very strongly about that, that tennis needs to be driven by user-friendly play and competition. And that means at all levels. So when you talk about the game, I'm really concerned that in the U.S. participation has gone in the last 20 years from 30 million to 16.7 million. And in Europe, it's dropping in many countries like Netherlands, for example, has gone from 750,000 registered players to 650,000. And ball sales and racket sales are, are, are down in a lot of nations. So for me, this is very important that we try and adapt the, 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 the product, which is the competition of the play, uh, to the needs and lifestyles. So, for example, it's not going to solve everything, but uh, one of the objectives for a player between the age of, say, a performance player between the age of sort of 12 and 18 is they need to play between 80 and 100 good matches a year, singles matches. And that means the player, some often them trying to play travel, the better they get to travel to play against other very good players. For me, one of the ways to make the ITF circuit more user-friendly would be at the lower levels, four, fives, fours, threes, twos, to have a feed-in system. So if you send your kid to 10 tournaments, you know they're going to get 50 matches. Mm -hmm. And they're playing off the last day for first, second, third, all the way down to 31st, 32nd with different points for different positions. You might have to pay a higher entry fee, but it means you're guaranteed to get the matches because at the moment when you send your kid to 10 tournaments, you, you don't know whether you're going to get 10 matches or 50 matches. And this is one of the challenges. So it's just one example, but we need to try to think all the time about the customers. And at the moment, the, I think that the, 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 the formats that are used at the performance level require kids to travel too much. And I think we need to find a better system. And, and you know some of the things I've written about, the, the ITF World Tour, that I believe it would have been better to do some sort of more regional tours so people didn't have to travel so much, Pan America, Euro Africa, Asia Pacific. Uh, that would be would have been better, and I, I also thought there was different ways to try to increase the prize money. But at the junior, you know, the juniors, yes, this is one of the big objectives for tennis for the future. I think we've managed to change it a lot. I don't know whether you know. I think you know that I was very involved with the play and stay campaign, which led to the tennis tens and the ten and under program adopted by the USDA. So now, at the ten and under, it's pretty user friendly. The kids play a lot of matches using the different balls, slower ball, smaller court, and eventually. Uh, they, you know, they get it's driven much more by play, 
And uh, I don't. I think it's becomes a little bit more like soccer, where they don't need the kids don't need as much instruction, so it's less expensive. But the problem in the U.S. seems to come between the age of twelve and, and eighteen when it becomes more and more expensive to travel. Now, in Europe, it's a little bit easier because the European situation is better. There's a lot more junior ITF tournaments in in Europe. There's two hundred and eighty tournaments every year, whereas in, in America, like you said, seventeen tournaments. If you take Central America and the Caribbean, it, it goes up to maybe 36, I think. But it is more expensive. It's not a level playing field. And that's one of the challenges when you actually link the junior ITF circuit and say the top, there's five spots in the ITF World Tour for everybody from the junior ITF circuit. Well, for the Europeans, that's a lot easier to achieve than it is for people from other countries. And that's why I feel the pathway is not so so uh, fair the way it's been set up. Yeah. And I mean, it's it's just feeding into that idea because if you want your child to have an I, a high ITF ranking, you have to invest in travel. And it's pretty Well, it's, it, is, it is true, um, at least to a certain extent. But in, I think the, the American system is a little bit different. Um, but in, in, in Europe, a lot of times the countries, if you're very good, will pick up a lot of the, the costs and sometimes have them traveling with coaches and paying some of those expenses for the really, really very good players, especially the... The bigger nations like France and Germany and and uh, Britain and even Australia. So I mean, there. It, this is again, it's not a level playing field. But if you're for some of your parents out there, I know they're 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 funding a lot of this themselves. They're having to pay for coaches, etc. And it's it's very very expensive. And I think this is where we have to do a better job of of finding uh, a way for people to continue in tennis. And what worries me a lot is this and. Uh, Participation. Now, participation, people think, is about recreational players. But for me, participation goes right through the sport. So, for example, what I see a lot is really good players, when they realize they're not going to make it as a junior ITF player, okay, in the U.S., maybe they'll stay playing to get a college scholarship. But a lot of times when they stop realizing they're not going to be junior ITF or they're not going to be uh, professional players, they stop playing mm -hmm. because there's no nothing to keep them in the game. Now, the U.S. college system is great because it keeps them in the game until they're 22, 23, but you don't see so many non-professional players really continuing to play competitively at 26, 27, 28 years old. And I think we need to find ways to keep those sort of players in the game. And that means creating tournaments. It means creating ratings where people feel they're moving up and down. And there's like a, a um, status with being able to say, I'm a ITF rated this or that. And so I think the rating system is, is quite important. And then to find level-based play for the future will make, make tennis a little bit less expensive. I swear, I think you're reading my mind because that was my next question to you was about the rating system. And there's been a lot of chatter about the fact that the ITF is trying to develop a rating system much like what we are used to now in the States as UTR. Um, there's talk that USTA is trying to develop a rating system and What's going on with that? And why do we need a rating system that goes across all nations, all levels, all genders, et cetera? Okay. Well, look, let me start. Okay. I've always believed a rating system is very important. I think the great thing is everybody's waking up to that. What I would just like to point out that back in 2001, at when I was at the ITF, we, I set up a group and we developed a thing called the ITN, the International Tennis Number. The problem was it was before broadband, so it, it probably today looks a bit like Fred Flintstone's rating because it was a manual rating. 
but the concept was there. It would have been great for motivating people to continue playing, and it was a manual system. But the ITF never really invested in the algorithms behind it, and I think then rating systems like the UTR, like the French, and other rating systems became much more sophisticated. So well, all I would say is that I believe that the future of tennis is to have a rating system which links all of the different verified uh, tournaments around the world. So verified meaning these are tournaments which are sanctioned by some body. It could be collegiate, it could be Bundesliga, it could be national tournaments, regional tournaments. And all of those go into the system and players' rating moves up and down. And, and yeah, UTR is doing that in the U.S., but I think the concept of having a rating system that goes across the world can have a huge impact. And in my opinion, that can also include the ITF World Tour events, Spanish prize money, but then players don't have to travel as much. And it motivates people to stay in the game. And if you if you start working at something else, you can still play your four or five weeks of tournaments every year and maybe keep in this global system. And eventually, the bigger picture would be that this rating system might become the entry for getting into challengers and above. So for the ATP WTA higher level events, the ATP and WTA rankings would still be there, but would just be a way of, of people getting in. So if a, if a U.S. player decided not to play the ITF circuit, but they were playing in other events like national tournaments, sometimes some futures, sometimes some junior ITFs in, in America, all of those tournaments would come together to give them a rating and, and allow them to move into whatever level of tennis, could be collegiate, could be into other high-level events. And, and But certainly the system at the moment where, and look, I don't, I'm not telling you anything you don't know, but when a player is coming out of college and we know that a top 20 U.S. collegiate player is the equivalent of a, an ATP 3 or 400, and they're now going to be starting from scratch. And it doesn't make sense that the U.S. collegiate system is not included. And now that the junior ITF system has become almost like a, uh, uh, a one-stop shop for people who want to kind of move into this new ITF World Tour. But we'll talk again about that in a second, I'm sure. Yeah, absolutely. You know, one thing you mentioned a few minutes ago was about participation numbers and, and the fact that uh, players are leaving the game after, you know, age 22, 23. It was interesting to me to listen to a lot of the press conferences during the Australian Open and hear the players talk about how as young kids, they were being taken to the courts by their parents, you know, made to sit on the sidelines while their parents were playing. And how important it is to have that generation between, you know, the end of college and whatever age, I mean, the, the childbearing years, um, to yeah. have that generation playing taking their young kids to the courts and exposing their children to the sport from a young age so that that generation, you know, so that tennis perpetuates itself. Can you no, no, look, absolutely, Lisa, look, what I, I see around the world, and maybe I'm privileged because I'm tra traveling so much and I've seen so many countries, is tennis is being driven too much by coaching. When I go into a club, I look on the board and I see all this stuff about coaching. And I'm a coach. I, I respect coaches a lot. But the problem is that you don't see anything about play and competition or not very much. And for me, coaching should service the play and the competition. And by the way, I use the word play and competition because play is synonymous with fun and play is where you keep score, but nobody writes it down to say I'm better than Lisa or Lisa's better than me. But competition is where actually it's recorded and people 
And some people like play and some people like competition. But the point is, tennis should be driven by play and competition. And at the moment, it's being driven too much by coaching. And so our job has to be to see, find a way to keep people in the game at all, all levels. And, and I believe that the best part of tennis is hitting it over, hitting it back, and keeping score. But a lot of times, people don't get a chance to do that. Or at the micro level, the club level or regional level, nobody's really organizing that type of user-friendly play. And some people, adults, would like time competitions where because they, they don't have much time. Some people want to have more social. Uh, et cetera, et cetera. Maybe some young kids want to have it with big music and stuff, but we need to find a way to adapt tennis to the needs and lifestyles. Otherwise, we're going to lose people. And the one thing you cannot say in any business is never blame the customer because the customer is never wrong. So if the customer is not buying your product, you need to adapt the product, market it better, change the packaging, et cetera, et cetera. And that's what I think tennis needs to be looking much more at the bigger picture. I believe in the sport. I believe if people you know, if you can create these sort of competition or play, once people are hitting it over, hitting it back, they get hooked on it and they want to play. Um, yeah. So that's, that's what I think. There's a lot of talk, especially in the coaching community around, you know, if people aren't taking lessons, then we coaches aren't making money. And, and I'm, I'm not yeah. myself in that we because I am not a coach. But how do we balance that then? Yeah, but you see, this is the point is that uh, coaching should be servicing the play. If more people are playing, uh, let's put it all together. Supposing everybody had a rating, okay? So they're playing. And now people, uh, oh, I want to get better. So they go and get a lesson so they can play better. Or they buy a new racket so they can play better. So or they want to watch the best players because they want to see how the best players play. So this is the thing that people are playing. And what happens a lot is too many coaches are focusing on organizing all the coaching in their club. Is there somebody responsible for organizing all the playing competition and all the stuff to keep people playing? Social events, short time matches, etc. And that's the thing. So for me, it, we need to turn it on its head. It needs to be driven by this user-friendly playing competition at every level. So at the micro level, somebody in the club or there is or the community is running a lot of events, and the coaches are going to have loads of business because people will 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 come for lessons and. The other thing about a rating, which I think a lot of people don't realize, is kind of actually quite funny when I, I say to people, is that if there was a global rating, we would finally make coaches accountable. Because if I'm a 7.2 and I want to, you know, and I get 10 lessons from a coach and I'm still a 7.2, I'd like my money back, please. Yeah. <laughs> so the, 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 co the coaches should give relevant coaching to help the players play better. So don't give them things they don't need, but give them things to help them get, play better, which links into the game-based approach. But that's the whole thing about coaching. Relevant instruction to help the players play better. It can be technical, tactical, physical, or mental, but relevant coaching. Not coaching just a waste of time. Interesting. Yeah. yeah. I mean, you're absolutely right. And I've never thought about it in those terms either. But, but you know, it's funny because I, I do talk a lot about accountability and and. Um, that's one piece of it that never occurred to me, but it makes so much sense. <coughs> Excuse me. Oh, no worries. So let's let's switch gears a little bit and talk about the new tennis tour and what's going on and what you're seeing and hearing so far. Okay, I don't know where where to start, but I look, you, you, Lisa. You, you, I think we did an interview about seven or eight months ago, and, and you know, I'd written I'd written some stuff. Back in January last year after the Australian Open when I talked to a lot of coaches and I wrote again another thing 
after new information came out about the challenger level changes, etc. So for me, there's a better way, but let me come to that in a second. Let me just talk about the way it is at the moment. I think the original objectives, if I remember correctly, were linked to let's try and improve the pathway. Let's try to see if there's a way of making more players break even. Let's try to reduce the costs of the players playing on the tour. And let's try to think about the integrity issues, which are the, uh, you know, the, the betting. Okay. So let's go through all of those. So um, is anybody, any player making any more money in the ITF World Tour? No. Same draw size, same prize money. Uh, are the costs reduced? No. It's a global circuit, global rankings, so the players still travel the same. So the, the third thing was the integrity issue, and the ITF is still selling the, 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 sports, the, the data to sports radar. I think that the, 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 the cause of the problem is that not enough players breaking even, and that's why people have more temptation. So if we could solve that problem, I think there'd be less temptation to, to, to do anything that wasn't uh, correct. And the final thing is the pathway. Is the pathway much better? What I see from some of the uh, tweets and the emails and the, the posts on, on Facebook that I've seen is nobody can get into the tournament. So well, a lot of people can't get into the tournament. So what's happened is that, let me give you some examples. Last, well, I think you know this, but last year the, in, the, in the men's futures in the US, 128 draw qualifying. Now it's 24. In Australia, it was uh, 64. Now it's 24. In Japan, 64. Now it's 24. A lot, most, a lot of other countries, 32, now 24. So the number of opportunities to play have reduced incredibly. And so the ITF, I think, has said, well, we, we don't want, there's a lot of players shouldn't be playing because they're not good enough. What I want to ask is, how do you differentiate between the player who's not good enough and the player who's really talented with no ranking? They can't get in. They can't get started. So for me, the pathway is not very good. And what I, sorry, is not, is not uh, good enough. And I think, although it was very tough before to play 128 draw qualifying, but eventually if a player is good, they're going to win five matches and get into the main draw and, and, and get started. So now they're not getting the opportunity. Um, also, what, I, what I've observed, I'm sorry, this is on the men's side. I think on the women's side, it's a little bit better because there's still ATP, WTA points for the 25s and upwards. So the pathway isn't, isn't so bad there. But the... Um, on, on the men's side, what I see in the first quarter of the year, two things. First of all, the number of tournaments, the 15s and 25s, seem to have gone down from nine, from 114 to 98. So the first quarter last year was 114 tournaments, and now it's 98. Um, but there's also been a big move from $15,000 events to 25s, which means because the 25 still have points, people have moved from doing a 15,000 without ATP points to a 25. And I, my worry is next year when the points, the ATP points go off the 25s, will people uh, move out of these? But so, so it looks to me like there's less opportunity, although I have to say I've heard from ITF people saying that they think the number of tournaments will be the, the same as last year. So if, if that's true, then I stand corrected. But at the moment in the first quarter, they're definitely down based on the calendar. And uh, if you go then into the number of places to get in, the junior ITF players, current junior ITF players get, if you're in the top 100, get five spots in the main draw of the 15,000s. 
Um, the question is, what happens to a player who gets injured, who is out of the game for a little while and wants to come back, but they were top 100, now they're not top 100. Uh, how do they get, get going? So there's a lot of things like that. But what I see being tweeted a lot and, and uh, put on Facebook is a lot of players frustrated because they can't get in into tournaments where previously they were able to get into very, very easily. And so for me, the pathway, which is my was my fourth point, the pathway is um, not as optimal as it could be. And I think there was a better way. Um, and I, I really don't see the point in reducing the qualifying so much. Uh, I just I, It seems to be done in order for the organizers to finish the tournament within seven days. And this comes back to my original, well, my point earlier, who's the customer? The customer is the players. And so we need to do stuff for, for, for them. Um, take into account the organizers, of course, do a lot of efforts to, to run the tournaments. But uh, so Can I ask you they, a dumb question? Yeah. Why a 24 draw in qualifying? Well, I've been told that the, the point was that they want to finish the tournament in seven days. So the qualifying will take place on, Saturday, or I think on, on uh, if I understand correctly, on, on day one and two qualifying, and then you have five days to play the tournament. So it's done in seven days. Why uh, 24 and not 32? Uh, I, look, this is what they decided. So I, 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 I just really, some of these things I, I, I just don't uh, get. And look, my original uh, proposal for them, and I, I did suggest this back in 2013 because I was involved in some initial meetings, but I, I suggested in my, in my article, was that I would have gone, if you wanted to try to solve all these problems about prize money, costs, et cetera, I would have gone, and, and more players breaking even, I would have gone $15,000 events with 16 draw. 16 draw would have doubled the prize money for all of the better players, and then you could have had 32 or 64 qualifying into those events, it would be tough, but it meant, would mean that the players down to 700 would not only double their prize money, but they'd actually be able to triple it because they could play six tournaments in a month instead of four tournaments in a month. Mm-hmm. And that would have solved things. And you could have done that on a regional basis, Pan America, Euro Africa, and Asia Pacific. It's easier to get regional sponsors than global sponsors. You would have reduced the cost of the people traveling. And I think it would have been much better. You would have solved a lot of the issues. And... Uh, you, you know, you can have big qualifying. <laughs> it's no problem. I remember I played satellites back in the 80s. I know it's in the dark ages, but we used to have qualifying. Sometimes we had to play four matches, five matches to qualify. That's the way it was. And, and I mean, realistically, for the high-level junior player or college player that's trying to make the move to that next level, playing qualifying is an incredible learning experience and opportunity for them. Well, I don't know what the collegiate uh, are going to do because my understanding was in previous years, uh, a big part of the competitive opportunities for the collegiate players was to play a lot of qualifying in, in these futures that were taking place. And now a lot of those players aren't going to get in. So I, I'm really concerned, although I heard the other day that possibly the USTA might be organizing a tournament before for the, for some of the wild cards into the qualifying, into the 24 qualifying. So it was almost like a pre-tournament leading into the 24 draw qualifying and then into the draw. But that then 
defeats the purpose of the seven days tournaments and stuff. So, well, it um, also increases the risk of injury for these players. It increases <coughs> the cost of playing the tournament because now you've got to play another tournament before you get in the tournament. I mean, there's so well, yeah come out of that. Well, yeah, and 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 like I said about the the, the junior ITF being the the you know the top hundred junior ITF get uh, five spots in the draw in the in the draw. Well, that's um, you know, when you have Europe with 280 tournaments and other parts of the world with much less, US with 17, it just puts it's not a level playing field, right? And and so it's not, it's not very fair in my opinion. There should be other pathways to getting to into the first level of entry level professional tennis, yeah. other than just the junior ITF circuit. And look, I. I, I Junior ITF circuit was in my department for eight years. I think it's great, but it shouldn't be the only show in town. You should respect the fact that some people, for whatever reason, could be education, could be money, they may not be able to do it. And so there should be another way to, to, to come through. Right. So let's tie all this together. So you're running for president of the ITF. We are here in the States and wondering what in the world is going to happen to our junior system, which feeds into our collegiate system, which in, in a perfect world would feed into the professional system, but seems to have a roadblock now with the World Tennis Tour. What are you going to do for us to fix all this? Okay. So look, I'm not saying I have all the answers, but I can tell you that I'm going to, I'm, I, I've been the last six weeks, what I would call listening mode. I've met with Everybody from ATP player council members, WTA staff, different people, presidents of federations, juniors, coaches, etc. And I'm trying to put together something that's a, a, a very, well, a good platform or manifesto, if you want to call it. But I can, can tell I you. Uh, you one second? Yeah. I want to say you didn't mention parents, but the fact that oh, you are talking to yeah. us now, I, I think you need to include parents in that group. No, it's a very good point. Okay, I've even look. I, I I'm going to talk to everybody, and and uh, I always feel yeah. left out of the the conversation. No, no, it's it's a very look, good point, Lisa. I tell you, I stand, you know, it's a good good point. Okay, and but my idea is to have a manifesto driven by two things: driven by tennis, what's good for tennis at all levels, and what's good for the ITF nations that own the ITF because they're the shareholders in the ITF, and that means. Trying to look at those two things, we, we have our shareholders, the ITF Nations and the Davis Cup and the Fed Cup and the Olympic tennis events are very important properties for us. But we also have to, as a controlling body of tennis, be looking at what's good for tennis. That means working with the other constituents, the tours, the slams, the players, parents, all the other people, and try to do some good things for tennis. And I said some of the things earlier, you know, like, how wouldn't it be great if the top 350 men and women made a good living? Wouldn't it be great if the players down to 750 in the world could break even if they played the right schedule? Wouldn't it be great if, the, if there was a, a better pathway that takes account of, wouldn't it be great if there was a global rating system where players could all be included in the system, et cetera, et cetera. Wouldn't it be great if the top players are really promoting participation into our great sport? So trying to do some good things for tennis, trying to make sure the nations of the ITF have more resources and that we uh, so that's what I'm going to try to do. I don't have all the answers, but I think I have a reasonable experience in tennis at at many different levels, uh, and uh, I know the ITF very well. And I think the direction of the ITF right now, I'm sorry to say, uh, they they've lost their way a bit. And 
even if I, I don't win this election, I'm certainly going to raise issues which are will will hopefully make the current um, leadership rethink the way they're 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 operating. Who votes for you? Like I'm, not just you, but who votes for the president? Well, well, the I, ITF uh, um, election is. Uh, the, the voters are the, na- the nations that own the ITF. So the 208 nations, I think there's 170 of them have a vote and it's a weighted voting system with the major nations, the top nations having 12 votes going down to nine, seven, five, three, and one. And so you have to appeal to the top nations and also to the, to the uh, smaller nations. And, you know, but I, I, I think I, I have a, I'm from Ireland, which is a smaller nation. I was born in the Caribbean. Not many people know that. I was born in Guyana and I grew up in Jamaica until I was eight. And I've traveled to about 150 countries. And I, I am maybe linked a little bit to a Grand Slam in terms. I'm, I, I'm a member of the All England Club. They made me a member about 15 years ago. I'm very proud of that. And so I think I have a, a reasonable uh, grasp of the, of the different uh, needs of the different nations. And so I'll be trying to appeal to the nations. And I hope that they'll see that I'm somebody who is going to protect the interests of the national associations. The ITF and its nations do a lot of good for tennis. They pay for most of the things that lose money. And I think the tours need to respect that. Player development, the officiating, the junior ITF tour, all of the things that develop the players to the level where they go onto the tours. So I'm going to do my best to protect the interests of the national associations, but also look at the bigger picture and try to do good things for for the sport that, that I love. And I think millions of people around the world love to, love to play. So as a constituent of the ITF, who do we appeal to in order to make sure you get our vote? <laughs> no. Seriously. No, no, well, no, but it, it's, it's the, look, uh, one of the candidates for the election is almost certainly going to be Dave Haggerty, who's a former president of the USTA. And so I'll be going against uh, Dave, and, and I have a lot of respect for Dave. I just don't agree with some of his policies. And uh, I'm sure the USDA will be um, very supportive of his campaign. So oh, I, I, I'm not going to get distracted by other people. I always think it's like an athlete. You have to focus on your performance, and the outcome takes care of itself. So I'm going to try to run a very good campaign. It'll be driven by tennis and by the needs of the interests of the nations that own the ITF. And let's see what happens. I'll try to go around the world, articulate my manifesto, and hopefully people will see that I'm a safe pair of hands and I have good vision for the organization. But, you know, the, the voter will be the president and uh, of the USTA, which currently is Patrick Albright and before was Katrina Adams. Okay. So, I, I mean, I think it's important that we as customers understand the process and how it works and who's casting a vote on our behalf and because it does impact us you know if well well, well i i think the, the look the itf has this is what 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 uh, kind of um concerns me is the itf is a great organization it does a lot of good problem is maybe in the u.s it's not promoted enough about all the things they do um but they do a lot of good things and and all of the as I said, and the nations do a lot. They pay for all the things that lose money, um, but are important for the for the health of the game. And uh, so, I think it's important that the ITF is is strong, and the ITF is giving leadership uh, because, as the controlling body of tennis, it's it's the one. Well, sorry, all of the organizations are interested in tennis. They they want tennis to grow, but it's the only one that really has a global 
uh, remit to make sure that the the health of the game is good everywhere. So, for example, you know, at the moment, the tours generally are moving, a lot of their tournaments are moving towards, well, they're in Europe, North America, and now a lot in Asia. But, you know, the ITF is concerned about Africa, concerned about South America, Central America and the Caribbean, the Pacific, all of these nations that don't have tournaments. And so, and wouldn't be a very big interest to some of the tours. So the ITF has this global remit and a remit that goes right down through all the levels of, of tennis, not just the professional. And so it's, it's very important that, they're, that the ITF um, has good leadership because the health of the game is in their hands. Right. So if, if people are interested in getting more information on the ITF, on what's happening at the junior level, and on what's happening with the election, is there a good resource for that? Um, well, look, it's early days. I mean, the election's not until September. So at the moment, <clears throat> I've declared my candidacy early because uh, I want to have time to uh, consult with different constituents. I told you I was in listening mode for the last six or eight weeks. And, and gradually now I'm going to try to pull together this manifesto, have it in writing, different languages, and then go around the world and articulate it. So it's it's early days, and so there won't be a lot of information on, on websites or anything, but the, people will learn a lot over, over the next while. But the ITF has a website, a lot of information about all of the different activities of the ITF on the website. There's a newsletter comes out every week. Um, nice. So there's a lot of information there if people want to know more. But I think in terms of the election, it'll probably hot up a lot more over the next uh, four or five months. Great. And you are on social media, you're active. So if people are interested in finding out more about you and, and your campaign, they can uh, certainly follow you, right? Absolutely. I'm on, D- D- well, you'll find DaveMileyTennis.com on Facebook, Twitter, and also I've got a, a blog stroke website that's going to come live in the next uh, week or two. So watch out for that. Oh, great. You'll have to send me the link so I can include yeah, it. Yeah, no, I'll do that for sure. Anything else you want to leave us with? Because I, I know it's late where you are. <laughs> and and I guess we should mention you are sitting in Abu Dhabi right now. <laughs> well, yeah, I, I've just I've just come from Australia and I, I'm, I've stopped off here for, for a day and then I'm heading to London tomorrow. But I was 10 days in Australia and, and uh, I saw today Djokovic beat Nadal, which surprised uh, me because I saw... Well, I, I saw supposed to say. I haven't watched it yet. <laughs> oh, my God. I'm really sorry. Oh, my goodness. I'm probably that, That's terrible. I'm always doing that to my kids as well. But anyway, I, I, I got a chance to see Nadal the other night. He was incredible. Um, but no, I don't have any... No, I, I, I just think, again, to final, finish, I, I think tennis is a great sport. Okay, It's one of the best. And and one, one thing I didn't mention earlier was when you when you mentioned about parents investing so much in their kids and sometimes the kids make it or sometimes they don't. I remember I was in a conference last year with uh, Jim Lair. I don't know whether you, you know Jim Lair. Jim Lair is one of the top sports psychologists and fantastic man. I've known him a long time. But he made a presentation. He, he talked about this. He said, but he said, I know if people invest and my kid didn't make it and I put so much money in. But what he said was the best part of tennis, it's never a waste of investment. The best part of tennis is it helps you grow up. And that's the point is by playing all of these matches, by playing these tournaments and stuff, kids learn to get over uh, bad calls, their match point up and they lose, their match point down and they win. And it teaches them a lot of life skills that help them so much in their lives later on. And that's one of the reasons why I don't believe in on-court coaching 
at the junior level. I think at the professional, it can work. But because I think the great thing about tennis is no coach is telling them where to stand, where to move when they're on the court. They have to figure it out themselves. And But it is a, a great th- sport for developing life skills, and I think it's the best one. Absolutely. So, uh, yeah. Yeah, well, keep up the great work, Dave. Okay, good uh, stuff, Lisa. Thanks very much for having me on the show. It was great. Thank you. And to my audience, thank you so much for tuning in. We'll catch you next time on Parenting Aces. I'm Lisa Stone, and you've been listening to the Parenting Aces podcast. For tennis parents, by a tennis parent. If you like what you've heard, I hope you'll share the podcast with your tennis community. For all the information you need to navigate the junior and college tennis journey, be sure to check out parentingaces.com.